The Torah reading of Rosh Hashanah is different from all other Torah readings of the year. Every reading from the Torah on a festival is connected to something about that festival which is written in the Torah. For example, on Passover, we read either from the book of Exodus in the portions that describe the Exodus or the Paschal Sacrifice, or we read from the book of Leviticus the sections which describe festivals in general, amongst them the Passover, or we read from the book of Deuteronomy in the section which describes the festivals in general. And Passover is mentioned specifically in those sections of the Torah. The same is true of Sukkot, the same is true, of course, of Anyom Kippur, where we, in the morning, read of the service of the high priest, the Avodah, which atones for all the sins of Israel. The Torah reading is connected in an obvious manner to the day itself. Not so on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, the Torah reading, both on day one and also on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, has no obvious connection to Rosh Hashanah. On the first day of Rosh Hashanah, as mandated by the Talmud in the last chapter of Tractate Megillah, we read the story which is found in the 21st chapter of the book of Genesis, Hashem Pakadet Sarah Kasher Amar, God remembered or redeemed Sarah as God had spoken. It's the story of the birth of Isaac and the expulsion of Ishmael from the house of Abraham and Sarah. And on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, we read the next chapter, chapter 22, the binding of Isaac. In any event, in the Torah text, neither chapter has any connection whatsoever to the day of Rosh Hashanah. And so the immediate question we must ask ourselves is, why has our tradition chosen the 21st chapter of Genesis, God's remembering Sarah, the birth of Isaac, the expulsion of Ishmael, to be read on the day of Rosh Hashanah. It is furthermore interesting to note that in the eyes of the Talmud, the primary reading of Rosh Hashanah is not the binding of Isaac. The primary reading on Rosh Hashanah is the previous chapter, chapter 21, God's redemption of Sarah. For the Talmud says that on Rosh Hashanah we read the story of Sarah and now that we keep two days of Rosh Hashanah we read on the second day the binding of Isaac. We know, for example, that in the land of Israel before the year 7 or 800, approximately, they observed only one day of Rosh Hashanah in Israel. The observance of two days of Rosh Hashanah in Israel is about a thousand years old. And when they observed one day of Rosh Hashanah, they read chapter 21, Vashem Pokadet Sarah. They did not read the binding of Isaac. And therefore, we really have to focus our attention primarily on chapter 21. Why is this the chapter that tradition has chosen to be read on Rosh Hashanah? Of course, the answer to this question rests upon a firm understanding of the meaning of the 21st chapter of Genesis. And the 21st chapter of Genesis, God's redemption of Sarah, birth of Isaac, 
expulsion of Yishmael can only be understood within the larger context of the Abraham narrative. Let us therefore proceed with a careful reading of chapter 21 and interpretation of chapter 21, after which we will connect up the 21st chapter to the day of Rosh Hashanah. Chapter 21 begins, and I quote, And the Lord visited Sarah, as the Lord had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah, as the Lord had spoken. The Hebrew, visited, is the word pakad, which suggests remembrance and often redemption. The Lord has fulfilled the promise that the Lord has made to Sarah, and the next verse continues, And Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God commanded him. Isaac is born as a fulfillment of a promise made earlier in the Abraham narrative to Abraham. In chapter 17, God appeared to Abraham and said that your wife Sarah will bear you a child, that you will name him Isaac, that he will be a covenantal fulfillment of a promise that I make to you, Abraham. And here in chapter 21, God has remembered God's promise, and Abraham, in fact, names this child Isaac, the child that Sarah bore for Abraham. And Abraham has circumcised his son Isaac at eight days old, as God commanded him. Now the Torah continues, Abraham was a hundred years old, says the fifth verse, when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God has made me to laugh. All that here will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have nursed children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. Abraham made a great feast the day that Isaac was weaned. So Isaac is born. Isaac is circumcised. Isaac is nursed. Abraham has celebrated the completion of the nursing. In verse 8, and now we come to the critical moment in the 21st chapter. The next verse continues. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian laughing, and she said to Abraham, Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son, with Isaac. Sarah sees Yishmael, whom the text describes as the son of the slave woman, the son of Hagar the Egyptian, mocking. The term for mocking in the Hebrew is mitzachek, which is the same term the Torah uses to describe, to describe Sarah's reaction concerning the birth of her son Isaac, Yitzchak. Sarah had said, Tzachok, Elokim. Sarah had said, God has made me laugh. All that here will laugh with me. The term tzachok 
The term laughter in the Bible often is not merely laughter. Often has a negative cast to it, taunting or mocking. In this case, we might say that Yishmael is not merely taunting or mocking, but Yishmael is mitzachek, trying to be Isaac, or perhaps trying to supplant Isaac. The laughter at Yishmael's laughter suggests to us that Yishmael sees himself as Abraham's primary child, as Abraham's heir. Sarah hears the laughter. Sarah sees the son of the Egyptian woman laughing. She turns to Abraham and says, throw out the slave woman together with her child. For the slave woman cannot inherit with my son, with Isaac. This response of Sarah has a history. Back in chapter 16, the Torah tells us that Sarah went to Abraham and said to Abraham, instructed Abraham to marry Hagar. The reason for this, says the Torah in chapter 16, is that Sarah has no children. So in the second verse of chapter 16, Sarah said unto Avram, Behold now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing. I pray, go in unto my maid. It may be that I obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. He went in unto Hagar, she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. The Hebrew is Vatekal Givirtabi Neha. She became light in her eyes. She became of little value in her eyes. At which point, Sarai turns to Avram in the fifth verse of chapter 16 and says, And Sarai said unto Avram, and I quote, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto your bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. May the Lord judge between me and you. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as it pleases you. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her face. In chapter 16, we have a confrontation between Abraham and Sarah. Sarah's anger is directed primarily not at Hagar, the woman who mocks her, the woman who makes a little of her, but strangely, her anger is directed towards her husband, Avram. The Hebrew, the injustice, the violent injustice, Hamas in biblical Hebrew, suggests violence. The violent injustice is upon you. I gave you my slave, and when she saw she had conceived, I became light in her eyes. May God judge between us. So Sarah wants justice. And she tells Avram, it's your fault, and may the Lord judge between us. And those are fighting words. She calls upon God to be judged, to be arbiter between herself and her husband. And she blames her husband for Hagar's response. At which point Avram says to Sarah, take the slave and do whatever you want. Do that which is good in your eyes. Sarah tortures, afflicts her, 
and Hagar runs away. So Sarah and Hagar have a history. Sarah has afflicted, has tortured Hagar. Hagar runs away in chapter 16. And now in chapter 21, once again Sarah turns to Avram with a complaint. The complaint being that the slave woman's son, Hagar's child, cannot remain in this house. Her son cannot inherit with my son, with Isaac. And she refers to the child as Hagar's child because essentially what Yishmael does in chapter 21 parallels what Hagar has already done in chapter 16, namely to mock, to make light of somebody. In the language of chapter 21, L'tzachek, to taunt. In chapter 16, when Avram was confronted by his wife Sarah, Avram's response was, do whatever you like. Do that which is pleasing in your eyes. Sarah tortured her, and Hagar ran away. But in chapter 21, when for the second time Sarah confronts Avram, Avram's response is not, do whatever you want. Rather, the response of Avram in chapter 21, this is chapter 21, verse 11, the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. By Yerah HaDavar, the thing was evil on account of his son. Avraham's concern is not Hagar. He has no interest in Hagar per se. But the concern is Beno. The concern is his son. Avraham will not do anything to hurt his son. And it's interesting that in the biblical text, the term Beno is used, his son. The Torah could easily have said the thing was evil in Abraham's eyes on account of Yishmael, Al-Odot Yishmael. The Torah rather uses the ambiguous term son. After all, Abraham has now not one son, but has two sons. Why has the Torah used the ambiguous Beno as opposed to Yishmael? Because the Torah is telling us, in effect, that if you would stop Abraham on the street and say, Abraham, quick, tell me the name of your son. Abraham's response would automatically be, my son is Yishmael. That's Beno. Yishmael occupies a primary place in Abraham's thinking. In fact, if we look back at chapter, chapter 17, when God informs Abraham that Sarai, his wife of many years, is to have a child, she will bear a child and you will name him Isaac, this covenantal child. I'll establish my covenant through Isaac. And Abraham's response upon hearing the good news about Sarah and the birth of another son, the response in chapter 17 is four words. Lu Yishmael Would that Yishmael live before you? Abraham has Yishmael on his mind. Abraham's concern is what will the birth of Isaac say about Yishmael? And the divine response in chapter 17 is don't worry about Yishmael. He too will get a blessing. He's also your son. He'll be a great nation. The father of 12 princes. But the covenant is to be established through Isaac. That's the message of chapter 17. But in chapter 21, says the text, 
Yishmael still remains Beno. Yishmael still remains not just a son of Abraham, but in chapter 21, a primary son. And here in the biblical text, we have reached an impasse. Because unlike chapter 16, when Sarai says to Abraham, I have a complaint against you. The injustice is your fault. This woman that I gave you mocks me. Abraham's response is, do whatever you want. But in chapter 21, the response is not, do whatever you want. The response, says the text, is, I'm not going to do it. There is no response. The thing is evil in his eyes. And Abraham will not do evil. And at this point, in chapter 21, verse 12, a third party is needed to break the impasse. At this point, God intervenes. And the twelfth verse is, And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in your sight because of the lad, because of your bondwoman. All that Sarah has said unto you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac shall your seed be called. It's at this point in the biblical text that God intervenes. And it's interesting that the language that God uses parallels the language that Sarah has used. God says, Let it not be evil. Concerning the lad and concerning the slave woman. Everything Sarah says to you do. When Abraham thinks or talks about Yishmael, it's Beno. When Sarah talks about Yishmael, it's the son of the slave woman, Ben Ha'amah. When God speaks to Abraham, it's the lad and the slave woman. And the next verse, verse 13, The The son of the slave woman will I make a nation. He is your descendant. It's here in the biblical text that God intervenes. And what's interesting is, if we look back at chapter 16, we remember that when Sarah complained against Abraham, Sarah had said, the injustice is your fault. And she ended her statement with, Yishpot Hashem Beniu Beinecha, may God judge between us. She calls upon God to intervene. But in chapter 16, it's not necessary for God to intervene. Because Abraham gives in right away. Abraham says to Sarah, do whatever you want. Not so in chapter 21. In chapter 21, it becomes necessary for God to intervene. And God intervenes on the side of Sarah. If we digress for a moment back, back to chapter 16. In that chapter, as we have noted, Sarah directs her anger against Abraham rather than initially against Hagar. Of course, she's angry at Hagar as well. In fact, the moment Abraham says, do whatever you want, the text informs us, Sarai, Sarah afflicted her, Hagar runs away. But the initial anger is not directed against Hagar. The initial anger is directed against Abraham. Why? Why does Sarah blame Abraham for the behavior of Hagar. In order to understand that, we have to go back to an even earlier story in the Abraham narrative. In the 12th chapter of Genesis, shortly after Abraham, heeding God's command, 
has entered the land of Canaan, the Torah tells us that there was a famine in the land. In chapter 12, verse 10, and Avram sets out to go to Egypt, for the famine was heavy in the land. In the 12th chapter, prior to Abraham entering the land of Egypt, he turns to his wife Sarah and says to her, request of her, say you are my sister, in order that it go well for me, and that I live on account of you. Imri Abraham's descent into Egypt and Abraham's behavior in Egypt raises many questions for the reader about Abraham's character and about the decisions Abraham makes in that chapter. It is not our place now to discuss that story, but merely to point out that what happens in the land of Egypt after Abraham goes to Egypt, is that Sarah is in fact taken by the Egyptians. That in fact the Pharaoh himself summons Sarah to his court. That the text suggests to us that she's there for quite a while. That in return for the Pharaoh taking Sarah, Abraham is given gifts. And that the gifts that he is given, as described by the Torah, in the 12th chapter of Genesis, include, and I quote from chapter 12, verse 16, he treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep and oxen, he asses and men servants and maidservants, she asses and camels. That amongst the gifts given to Abraham, in return for Sarah having been taken, were avadim ushvachot, were male slaves and female slaves. Hagar, as described in chapter 16, is a female slave from the land of Egypt. And the text is suggesting to us that the very presence of Hagar in the house is a function of the Abraham and Sarah story of chapter 12. And as such, reminds the reader that the interaction between Abraham and Sarah of chapter 16 in which Sarah blames Abraham for her predicament, has a history. That the very woman whom Sarah sees as mocking her is by her nature a reminder of the incident in Egypt. Sarah's anger at Abraham is not a function merely of chapter 16. But chapter 16 is a continuation of chapter 12. It's in her mind a continuation of the mistreatment she has suffered at the hands of Abraham. Now in chapter 21, once again Sarah explodes at Abraham. Chase out the slave woman. Chase out the son of the slave. The son of the slave may not inherit with my son, with Isaac. Abraham refuses to act. At this point in the text, God steps in. It is at this point that we can make our first connection between this chapter, this Torah reading, and the day of Rosh Hashanah itself. The basic theme of Rosh Hashanah, as expressed through the prayers, through the liturgy, is that of God's kingship. Malchuyot. 
On Rosh Hashanah, we speak of God as Melech al Kol Ha'aretz. What does kingship mean? Kingship relates to God's governance of the world. The fact of the matter is that in the biblical text, God prefers not to intervene directly in human affairs. Already after the flood, already from the time of Noah, God essentially states that God prefers to have humans handle their own affairs. Never again will there be a flood. Never again will God destroy the world. But God does intervene on occasion in the Bible. God intervenes at moments when humans are unable to act appropriately. God intervenes in the story of the Exodus because the Israelite people are incapable of saving themselves. God intervenes in the story of Sodom, story of Gomorrah, 19th chapter of Genesis, because their wickedness has ascended to heaven, because the people of Sodom are incapable of transforming themselves. And when God does intervene in the world, it reminds us that in the ultimate sense, it remains God's world. Chapter 21 of the book of Genesis, which describes the birth of Isaac. And it's through Isaac that the covenant is to be established. That this choice of Isaac, ultimately, says the Torah, is God's choice. Abraham, left to his own devices, will not banish Ishmael. And what's important to recognize, and we'll pick up this theme shortly, is that as long as Yishmael is in the house, Isaac will never be recognized as Abraham's covenantal child. Which essentially is what Sarah is saying. For this child cannot inherit with my son, with Isaac. As long as Yishmael is there, he remains an impediment. He blocks Abraham's vision. Abraham cannot see Isaac. And therefore, Yishmael must be placed outside the house. Yishmael too will have a blessing. He'll too be a nation. After all, says God in verse 13, he is your child. But the covenantal blessing belongs to Isaac. So what chapter 21 represents, and this is the primary reading for Rosh Hashanah, it represents an example of divine intervention. It represents the idea that history can be read as a working out of the divine plan. It represents the idea that the Torah begins with creation, which is a free act of God. Abraham did not choose Isaac initially. God chooses Isaac. And we call that kingship. And that's the theme of Rosh Hashanah. If we turn our attention now back to the 21st chapter, Sarah has insisted that the son of the slave, as she calls him, must be thrown out together with his mother. Abraham initially refuses to act. Here we must address the question as to why it is necessary for Yishmael to be 
removed from the house? Why can't the two of them coexist? In order to resolve this problem, it's necessary to look at elements of the larger Abraham narrative. In particular, we turn our attention back to chapter 12. In that chapter, Abraham, about to go to Egypt, on account of the famine, turns to his wife Sarah and says to her, please say you are my sister in order that I survive. His primary motive is survival. Additionally, it may go well for me there. And Sarah apparently agrees. And when they go down to Egypt in the 12th chapter, Sarah is taken. Now the wife's sister motif appears not only in the 12th chapter of Genesis, but reappears in the 20th chapter. Chapter 20 begins by the text informing us that Abraham journeyed from there towards the south country. He dwelled between Kadesh and Shur. He sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Avimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So in chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, we have Abraham repeating his performance of chapter 12. And this raises the question, how does one evaluate Abraham's behavior in chapter 20 as opposed to Abraham's behavior in chapter 12? In chapter 12, verse 11, the Torah tells us when it came to pass he was about to enter Egypt. He said unto Sarai his wife, Behold, I know now you are a fair woman to look upon. Therefore, it will come to pass when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They'll kill me and they'll keep you alive. Say, therefore, please, you are my sister, that it will be well for me for your sake, and my soul will live because of you. In the twelfth chapter of Genesis, the Torah informs us as to Abraham's motivation for saying that his wife is his sister. Whether we like the motivation or not, whether we think it's justifiable or not, he has a very specific reason for doing it. He's going to a dangerous place, and he went there because there was a famine in the land, chapter 12, verse 10. We know why he's going. We know why he does what he does. We may like it or we may not like it, but we certainly understand it. But in chapter 20, it's very strange. In chapter 20, we are told, he settled in a place called Gerar, and he said concerning his wife, she is my sister, and the king of the Philistines grabs her, Avimelech. We don't understand why he's there. If it's safe to be there, why are you saying that your wife is your sister? And if it's not safe to be there, why do you go? So what is strange is, we can't account, we can't understand his behavior. Secondly, what is troubling is that Abraham and Sarah already have a history. We know what happened the first time. The first time Sarah was taken. Pharaoh was plagued. Why repeat the same behavior? The Torah gives us no answers immediately to these questions. 
In chapter 20, as we proceed to read the story, God appeared unto Abimelech in a dream. It's chapter 20, verse 3. And God said, You will die, for the woman that you have taken is a man's wife. At which point Abimelech complains about his own innocence. I'm innocent, says Abimelech in verse 4. Would you slay even a righteous nation? And then he says in verse 5, She said that he's my brother, and he said she's my sister. In the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands have I done this. God responds in verse 6, I know how integrous you are. Return the man's wife. If you don't, you will die. Abimelech goes to Abraham in chapter 20, returns the man's wife, and in chapter 20, verse 10, Abimelech asks Abraham, Answer me, he says, why have you done this thing? We, the reader, have exactly the same question. And Abraham gives a very strange response. In chapter 20, verse 11, in chapter 20, verse 12, and in chapter 20, verse 13. The first answer in chapter 20, verse 11 is, Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place. They will slay me for my wife's sake. First answer is, I was afraid. I thought I was in danger. It doesn't explain why he went there. But after he got there, he realized it's dangerous. And he was afraid for his life. But Abraham continues to talk in verse 12. Begam amna, indeed, truly, says Abraham, she is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. The truth of the matter, says Abraham, is she really is my sister. What kind of response is that? What does Abraham mean, she truly is my sister? Nachmanides, Moshe ben Nachman, the great commentary on the Bible, has already asked the question, and let's say she is his sister. But has that response to the question, but isn't she also your wife? After all, the fact that she's also his sister is quite irrelevant. His real question is, I almost got killed because you didn't tell me she was your wife. So how is Abraham responding to that question? But the truth of the matter is that Abraham does respond to that question. What Abraham, in effect, is saying is this. It is true she is my wife. Yes, I took her as a wife. But I didn't lie to you when I said she's my sister. Because fundamentally, I see her as a sister and not as a wife. The wife in the book of Genesis is the woman who shares your destiny. But Sarah has produced no heir for Abraham. Sarah is the woman Abraham cares for and loves, but not the woman he sees as a partner in shaping the destiny of Abraham's nation. I didn't lie to you, says Abraham. She really is my sister. And then Abraham continues to talk in verse 13. And it came to pass, says Abraham, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, this is the kindness that you should show to me. At every place where we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. This would appear to be a third answer. And that is, 
you asked me why we did this when we came to your land? And the answer is, we always do this. We do this in every place. Which, of course, is hardly an answer. But the answer is basically, we've fallen into this pattern. We do this every place we go. Ever since, says Abraham, God has caused me to wander. The Hebrew is hit'u, which is literally to be lost. So what Abraham is doing over here is giving three different answers to one question. Typically, when we find three answers to one question, this bothers us. Because typically, if there's one good answer, one answer would suffice. And in giving these answers, Abraham is saying a good deal about his own perceptions. Number one, she really is my sister. And number two, we are wandering aimlessly. We have no clear sense of where we are going. We're simply repeating past behaviors, but we're not thinking about what we're doing. Abraham sees Sarah as his sister. And if he sees Sarah primarily as his sister, he is not going to see Sarah's child as his primary son. And that's precisely the point of chapter 21. The thing was evil, says the Torah, namely the banishment of Yishmael is evil. On account of his son, on account of Yishmael, his son, the child that Abraham prayed for back in chapter 15, when Abraham turned to God and said, give me a son, give me a son. Abraham in chapter 15 did not pray to God and say, give us a son. Rashi, the great exegete, has already pointed out that unlike Isaac, who in the 25th chapter prayed for Rebekah to have a child. Abraham prays for Abraham to have a child. Not for Sarah. Not for Abraham and Sarah. The son in Abraham's mind is Ishmael, Not Isaac. Because the mother of, the, of Isaac is not primarily his wife. is primarily his sister. And if Abraham is to establish Isaac as his covenantal successor, what has to happen is that the dynamics of the family have to be set straight. It's a family which the slave woman is the wife, which the son of the slave is the son, the wife is the sister, and which the son is the second child. And all that has to change. And Sarah's argument, and God agrees, it can only change with the banishment of Ishmael. It can only change once Yishmael has been sent away to secure his own blessing. Yishmael is not punished in the Bible. Yishmael secures the blessing which is appropriate for Yishmael. The blessing in the here and now. But not the blessing of covenantal destiny. And after Yishmael is sent away in chapter 21, we begin to read chapter 22. And chapter 22 tells us that after these things, after the banishment of Yishmael, that God tested Abraham, that's chapter 22, the verse that begins the story of the binding of Isaac. And God said, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am, Hineni. And God said, Take your son, your only son, the one that you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and bring him up as a sacrifice upon one of the mountains which I will tell you of.
The command is to take Bincha, your son, but not just your son, your only son. God's instruction to Abraham is, Isaac is your only son. Interesting in this connection is Rashi, citing a Midrash. Not in the text, but the Midrash says, God said to Abraham, take your son. And Abraham said, says this Midrash, but I have two sons. I'll take your only son. To which Abraham responds, each one is an only child. Ishmael is Hagar's only child, and Isaac is Sarah's only child. Take the one you love. I love them both. I love them both. Finally, God says, take Isaac. And this Midrash is getting at something very real in the text. That what's at stake over here in the story is which of Abraham's children is, from a covenantal standpoint, the only child. He loves them both. He should love them both. They're both his children. But only one is covenantal. And that's Isaac. And the Midrash even suggests to us that maybe Abraham doesn't yet get it. Maybe he doesn't understand this. And maybe that's the lesson of the binding of Isaac. And what is interesting is that in the binding of Isaac, as they're walking up the mountain, the Torah tells us that Isaac turned to his father in chapter 22 and asked a question. The question is, Father, I see the fire and I see the wood, but where is the lamb for slaughter? And Abraham turns to his son Isaac and says, God will provide for us a lamb, my son, Bini. The first time in the biblical text that Abraham calls Isaac his son. But it is not only through Abraham's speech that he affirms Isaac as his son. More importantly, it's through his actions. 22nd chapter, Binding of Isaac, tells us of God's command to Abraham to take his son, his only son, and to bring him up as a sacrifice. And Abraham, who has already said Hineni, he has agreed before the fact to carry out God's wishes, arises early in the morning, he takes two lads with him and Isaac his son, he takes the wood for the offering, he travels for three days, he comes to the place that God has spoken of, he sees the place from a distance, and he sets out to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. This is the story of the binding of Isaac, and we will discuss this story at a future point in time. But there's one element of the story that we must focus in on right now, because it's related to Abraham's perception of Isaac as his son. What is the story of the binding of Isaac about? Abraham prepares Isaac for the sacrifice. He's about to sacrifice Isaac. When in the 11th verse of the 22nd chapter, an angel of the Lord calls unto him out of heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham. And again Abraham says, Here I am, Hineni. And he said, Lay not your hand upon the lad, nor do anything to him. I know now that you fear God, 
seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So the angel has commanded Abraham not to slaughter Isaac. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. Chapter 22, verse 13. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham went, took the ram, and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham named the place Hashem Yireh, the place that God sees or God provides. Asher Yeomer Hayom, which to this day is called the mountain of the Lord, where God is seen. Hashem Yireh. Abraham, by bringing the sacrifice instead of his son, is substituting for Isaac. And by substituting for Isaac, Abraham is reclaiming Isaac. The 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis must be read in conjunction with the 21st chapter of Genesis. In the 21st chapter of Genesis, part 2, the text describes for us the banishment of Yishmael. The Torah says that Yishmael was sent away by Abraham. Abraham arose early in the morning. He took some bread and water. He gave it to Hagar. Chapter 21, verse 14. And he sends her away. Hagar gets lost in the desert. The details of that story will be discussed at a later point. But Abraham has sent Yishmael away. And the point of chapter 21 is to describe how Hagar, the mother of Yishmael, cares for her child, revives her child, saves her child, becomes in effect the sole parent of her child, and the story concludes with Hagar, the mother of Yishmael, finding a wife for her child from the land of Egypt, from her homeland. The next chapter, the 22nd chapter, describes how Abraham, the man who sent away Yishmael, unwillingly, he didn't want to do it, God forced his hands, but he did it. How this Abraham becomes the parent of Isaac, not simply by what he says, but by what he does, which is to reclaim his child, in effect to save his child. And how is Isaac saved? Ishmael is saved in chapter 21 because God opened the eyes of his mother and she saw a well of water. And she gave the child to drink. Chapter 21, verse 19. God opened her eyes. And she went and filled the jug with water. And she gave the child to drink. That's how Yishmael is saved. By his parents. By his sole parents. By Hagar. But how is Isaac saved in chapter 22? And the text tells us how Isaac is saved. The text tells us that after the angel says to Abraham, Do not lay your hand upon the child. That Abraham must discover for himself how to sort out all that he's been told. God speaks in the beginning of chapter 22 and says, sacrifice Isaac. Bring him up as a sacrifice. And the angel now says at the end of chapter 22, in chapter 22, verse 11, verse 12, do not harm the child. Do not sacrifice the child. 
How is Abraham to resolve the contradiction? God has made, in effect, two contradictory statements. God does not tell Abraham how to resolve the contradiction. God, as it were, does not open Abraham's eyes. But Abraham is capable, in chapter 22, of opening his own eyes, of perceiving himself. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw behind him a ram. And in that instant, Abraham understands how to resolve the contradiction. How on one hand, to slaughter Isaac. On the other hand, not to slaughter Isaac. How the biblical text resolves the contradiction. And it resolves the contradiction by means of sacrifice. Which simultaneously is not Isaac, of course. It's something other. At the very same time, it acts as a substitute. It is Isaac. It's Isaac's proxy. And that's the idea of sacrifice. The sacrifice is me. It's my proxy. It's my substitute. Isaac lives. On the other hand, symbolically, Isaac is sacrificed. Abraham understands at that instant how the contradiction is to be resolved. He lifts up his own eyes. And at that moment, when he understands, he perceives what in fact God must have meant. He is able to do something terribly important. He is able to reclaim his son. And by reclaiming his son, the one that the angel has called your only child, by reclaiming his son, he is in fact making a statement through his actions, this is the child that I claim back, unlike the other one that I send away. If we want to use a rabbinic term, we would use the term pidyon haben, the redeeming of the firstborn. The redeeming of the firstborn, the obligation upon the father to redeem his firstborn son, is found already in the Mishnah in Tractate Kedushin, and is listed as one of the obligations which devolves upon the father vis-a-vis his son. It's an obligation of a father because it's an act of fatherhood, not simply an obligation. It's a definition of what it means to be a father. The mother does not have to be reminded this is her child. She's born the child. She's carried the child. But the father must be informed after birth, this is your child. And it takes the form in the Mishnah of Pidyon Haben, of an act of reclaiming, of an act of taking back, of an affirmation, this is my child. So I claim the child back. I give the priest the five coins and I symbolically claim the child as mine. And that's what Abraham is doing in chapter 22. He is affirming, in fact, this is my child. And interesting in this connection are the two stories that follow the binding of Isaac. The first, in chapter 23, tells us of Sarah's death and Abraham's purchasing the gravesite for Sarah. A gravesite which in chapter 23 of the book of Genesis he is offered for nothing. Because the people of Hebron say to Abraham, you are a mighty prince amongst us. Chapter 23, verse 6. And the choice of our sepulchers bury your dead. None of us will withhold from you his grave. But Abraham refuses the offer. Abraham insists on purchasing the grave site. And he ends up paying 400 shekel for the grave site and for the field attached to it. An enormous sum of money. 
because he's not simply interested in burying Sarah. What Abraham is interested in in chapter 23, as the text describes it, is as a permanent burial place, a possession. And this place becomes, in the book of Genesis, the symbolic acquisition in the lands of Canaan. And it's not a coincidence that the symbolic acquisition is the grave of Sarah. It's Abraham's affirmation that Sarah was correct, that she shares the destiny, and that she represents Jewish destiny. And in fact, her grandson bears her name. Her grandson is Jacob, but is renamed Israel. Kisarita im Elohim Israel is named for his grandmother, Sarah, who represents Jewish destiny. If chapter 22 is the affirmation, Isaac is my son, what follows it, but logically precedes it, is that Sarah is my wife. That's chapter 23. And what is chapter 24? Chapter 24 are the instructions given to Abraham's servant to find a wife for Isaac. If Sarah was instrumental in my destiny, then Isaac's wife must be instrumental in her destiny. This Abraham's search for a mate for Isaac is the subject of chapter 24, which concludes by telling us that Rebekah, the one that Abraham's servant chose, was brought back to Isaac. And chapter 24 concludes by telling us that Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah. Chapter 24, verse 67 and Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, took Rebekah. She became his wife. He loved her. Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Let us return now to chapter 21. Sarah insists that Yishmael and Hagar be sent out. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with my son, with Isaac. Abraham refuses. God steps in. God says to Abraham, everything Sarah says to do, listen to her voice. Chapter 21, verse 12. For through Isaac will your descendants be called. God at that moment says to Abraham, Sarah is correct. Sarah understands how the destiny is to proceed. And Sarah understands the dynamics of your family. And Abraham exceeds to God's request. In exceeding to God's request, he essentially is accepting Sarah's view of the family. All that follows in the Torah, chapter 22, chapter 23, chapter 24, now logically follow this premise. The premise being that Isaac is the only, one and only, covenantal child. And Abraham's perception of Isaac as, this is my only covenantal child, comes clearly through in the 22nd chapter, through his speech and through his action, and is followed up on chapter 23 and chapter 24 in his treatment of Sarah and the purchase of the grave and the replacement of Sarah by Rebekah. The reading of Rosh Hashanah, Rashem Pokadet Sarah, God's redemption of Sarah, God's intervention in this world, is the theme of kingship. The hero of Rosh Hashanah, Abraham, not only 
accepts God's teaching, but takes God's teaching one step beyond. Not only sending out Yishmael and affirming Isaac as his covenantal child, not only accepting Sarah's vision, but understanding the implications of Sarah's vision, understanding the need to affirm Sarah as the mother of the Jewish nation, and understanding the need to replace Sarah in the person of Rebecca, and the ability to rethink our past and rethink our future is bound up with kingship and the very idea of Rosh Hashanah.